Hey everybody, Chris here. Just a quick heads up. Today's episode is the first 40 minutes of a nearly two hour long marathon episode about the pros and cons of gamifying climbing that is available in full only to our patrons. If you hear this and you'd like to hear more, you can become a patron for as little as $3 a month at patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast or by clicking the link right there in your show notes in your pocket supercomputers. All right, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. And this is Nate Drolet. And we are here today to talk about the gamifying of climbing, the, the pros and the cons of gamifying. Um, why don't you give us a quick definition, Nate, of what gamifying is in terms of climbing? So gamifying in general is applying kind of a game, just a game-like approach. This could be rules, this could be goals, quests, challenges, things like that to a task. Um, so in climbing, that would be, there are a lot of different versions of it, but some of the benefits are, you know, it makes it more, makes tedious tasks more fun. Mm -hmm. um, it makes you want to do some challenging things more often. Um, you can take something that might just be strictly hard or difficult and say like, oh, how do I have more fun? It can make you try harder. It can give you a lot of different emotions. Um, you know, some games might make you feel like you've got more grit because you had to really stick through with things. Um, some may, yep. might just, you know, be fun, enjoyable. Some might make you feel more confident because, you know, you had to push through things that were, you know, uncomfortable for you. Um, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we've seen it a lot in, you know, like the, the world of education. There's quite a bit of research into gamifying education. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen it in business as well. There's, there's quite yes. a bit done there. I think anywhere where there's tasks that become um, monotonous, tedious, um, gamifying, it can be really valuable for um, better engagement, more motivation. And there's in the education world, at least there's quite a bit of research saying that uh, the retention of information is better when it's been introduced in a gamified way, hmm. um, which I think is really fascinating and makes sense. You know, when I, it, when I look back to my school years, most of it was boring as fuck, you know, like, Lots yeah. of just rote memorization. And it wasn't, it's always the things I look back on that were gamified that I remember most fondly. And I feel like I can pull lessons from as opposed to the just rote memorization. Yeah. So I do, I really like that aspect of it. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're seeing it more and more in climbing with the advent of, you know, apps that either 
you know, build a community, uh, an online community around your spray wall, um, apps that allow you to track your climbing in different ways like Kaya, um, where there's anywhere there's point gathering and friendly competition and all of that are versions of gamifying your climbing. And like we mentioned, there are some real positives that come out of it. But there are also some some negatives that I think we should be aware of um, because I do think gamifying can lead you down the wrong path if you're not aware of of the path that you're on. Totally. So I think today what we're going to do is um, we're going to look at some of the the common and not so common um, ways that climbing is gamified. You've got a list there. And then we're just going to talk about the pros and cons of each method of gamifying climbing. Yeah. All right. You just want to jump into your list then? Yeah. So we'll start with uh, just an absolute classic, uh, the game of add-on. Yeah. I think this is probably the very first game I ever played in a climbing gym, you know? Um, Same. We would, and it was really valuable at the time. I was a pretty new climber. We would get on the 45 degree wall and, you know, which was just a giant spray wall at climb time in blue ash. And, and I was climbing with much more experienced climbers at the time. So we would play at a hold and at a hold, if you aren't familiar is um, it works best on a spray wall type of area. I think where there are lots of choices Mm-hmm. lots of options and it's a climber does a move and then the next climber up does that move plus another and then the next climber up does both of those moves plus another and it just builds that way over time and as people fall away you know we we come up with one winner essentially yeah when did you first play it was it early in your climbing career oh yeah i i feel like i probably learned it like two or three weeks into climbing that was yeah, just same for me. Yeah. That was like the thing you learned. And it's funny. I don't know how the guys who taught, got me into climbing learned it either because they were also brand new, mm-hmm. but they were like, Hey, here's the game we play and it's add on. Um, and it's cool because you go in and as a newer climber, I mean, everything is new and like, you're just kind of bumbling around trying to figure stuff out. But this kind of gives you agency in a way where you're like, oh, I get to make a move. And you quickly learn. You're like, oh, like you'll plan in your head. I'm going to do this move to this move. You get up, you're like, wow, that's actually seven feet away. Apparently, I don't have depth perception from the ground (laughs) for what is happening on a wall. And you immediately start connecting all these dots because, you know, you suddenly are a creator, which is really cool. Um, You know, it's something I think is not done enough later on in climbing is Mm -hmm. this creation of your own problems and you know having that kind of creative mindset of trying to figure out how things work why things work you know we're constantly trying we're looking at boulders that are set for us by route setters and we're looking at what's made by nature and we're trying to decipher that but and that's helpful and that's great and you learn a lot from that but you learn so much by saying, okay, well, if I can choose from three, these three different footholds to put on for the next move, 
Like, why are they different? This one's bigger, yeah. but it's harder off of that. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love it for this reason. It, it's it's a little more creative. You know, we we tend to talk about climbing as if it's a super creative thing, um, and it is to a degree. But I think it gets even more creative in the classic sense of the word when you're making up your own boulders and, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're making the decisions on which direction you go, how you do a move, things like that, as opposed to, I just need to decipher how to get to this place that's already set for me. And, you know, Zach and I climbing in the machine shop would very often do a version of this where it's like, I'm going to make up a move of a boulder. Then you make up a move of a boulder. And we would come up with projects like that, that didn't just suit one person's style and forced us both to kind of do half our own style, half the other person's style. And for me, that's really fun and really valuable. And, and I think it has lots of positives. Um, There are, I think some negatives to add a hold, Um, number one, you almost have to be playing with someone who's around your same ability level Mm -hmm. or you're very quickly out of the game. Totally. You know, it allows you to see possibilities that you maybe wouldn't have imagined, but because you're out of the game, you don't get lots of reps at trying the thing, you know, you get to try one time and then you're done. So, so for me, that's a big negative. However, if you're climbing with people who are around your same ability level, a negative can come in that it essentially becomes an endurance exercise. Um, if you're, if you're all just repeating each other's moves and you know, you can, it comes down to who can stay on the longest, you know, and I think that's a, a big negative that should be avoided. And it works best when you're, Climbing with people who are around your ability level and you're trying to do something that the other person is going to find challenging. Mm-hmm. Like I know that you have a hard time with Gaston's to your right side. Um, so that's what I'm going to look for and try to make work in my move. And and that might, you know, that's going to challenge you as the person making up the move. So you're going to be working at the outer edges of your comfort zone in trying to throw someone else off. That's where I think it's really valuable. And I think you have to be careful to stay in that zone or it becomes an exercise that maybe you aren't aiming for. Totally. I, I completely agree. I think there needs to kind of be that friendly competition. Mm -hmm. Um, and this goes with a lot of games where competition is a factor. Like it's helpful you know, you kind of have to want to win because that's going to not only help you, but it's going to help the other person. Yeah. Like if we're all just trying to be nice and like, oh, I'm just going to add a move. I don't want anyone to fall. Like, yeah, it turns into this 40 move monstrosity, which is good for route memory. I got to say mm-hmm. that's another benefit. Totally. Um, but hearing you talk, it immediately made me think of the position over everything conversation with Will and Roland, how they talked about they would set projects for each other. Right. They understood each other well enough that they could challenge each other. Yeah. And it would be, you know, and it might be simple for one of them. Like Will could, could have set like a technical, like keep the feet on kind of 
movement for Roland that Will can just do every time. Mm-hmm. And Roland would have to spend a lot of time and Roland could essentially have just power warmups that yeah. Will would take days <laughs> to repeat and Roland would just like giggle while doing them. Yeah, totally. But that kind of friendly competition, I mean, made them both better. Mm-hmm. And you have to be invested in allowing the game to continue, you know, it would be a really boring and, you know, largely ineffective game if Roland's first move, he just, he does a warm up move that he knows Will can't do and yeah. yep, game's over. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. And then Will does a move Roland can't do and uh, game's over, totally. you know, so you, you also have to want the game to continue, um, which I think, you know, if if you purely go into the gamified side of it where you just want to win, that can be a real negative. <clears throat> totally. All right. What's next? All right. Next, uh, ooh, one that's close to my heart right now, and that's Moonboard Benchmarks. Mm. Um, I've been grinding benchmarks lately. I'm moving to Salt Lake here in like a month. And so while I'm kind of getting everything ready to move, this has just been kind of a fun little focus of mine. Like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm not trying to climb outside right now. Like I'm just going to focus on this because it's fun. Gets me excited to go into the gym. Honestly, the moon board's exhausting, so I don't need a lot of time. You know, I can go in, warm up and then climb on the board for 90 minutes. And that's a great session. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, we have obviously been moon and team moon climbing in general developed this idea of board benchmarks, which I think is very cool. Um, but frankly, I think, you know, ravioli biceps is kind of the, the Milton Bradley of gamifying the moon board. Um, you know, he is the person who made it really popular to want to do all of the benchmarks and agreed. And I think a thing that's really positive about that is that it forces you outside of your style. Uh, if you want to collect, say, all of the V4 benchmarks, some of those V4s are going to be hard for you, even if you're a you know V8, V9, V10 climber. Yes. And and to it puts you in a position where you're like, okay, if I want to check all the boxes and complete this thing then I have to do these ones that are going to challenge me, which otherwise would be quite easy to just scroll right past. Absolutely. Like this, I think is kind of the secret sauce of why benchmark system or systems like it, like tension has theirs kilter might have a list system as well, but Mm -hmm. this sort of system. And I agree. I think, I think the reason why the benchmarks are the most popular one, they were first, but two, like, I mean, I think guys like ravioli are the reason, like it's a story behind it. Um, that really makes it. Yeah. But yeah, you have to go back like, Oh, you want to complete the list? You have to do them all. Like you don't do that in the climbing gym and you kind of don't do that outside. Like it's cool if you do, but to say like, Oh, I want to do all you know, 75 V sevens or whatever there are, like you're going to find a lot of heinous ones. You're going to find some weird ones and it would be so easy to skip past them. But instead you say, no, like, like people talk about, they'll be like, I got four V fives left. Like, hopefully I can get that done this month. You know, like, and these are people who like can go out and climb, you know, V eight V nine, but they're 
here. They're psyched and they're like, yeah, it's hard. I don't know why it's hard for me, but I need to get it done. Mm -hmm. What an amazing attitude. Like when I talked earlier about how games can help you experience these different feelings, like I think this can help you experience feeling more gritty, like this idea of I'm going to stick through with this to get it done. Yep. And in the modern climbing gyms, that's just not something that exists as much like turnover super fast. There's high volume. It's a ton of fun, but you know, so many people are like, oh, I don't want to like kind of project it just to have it reset or I just want to go climb on the new sets. But the moon board isn't like, you know, a lot of times the moon board isn't changing, like unless your gym updates the sets. But for a lot of people, they've been climbing on like the 2016 set for since it went up and they're still grinding benchmarks. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's quite cool. Um, I do think I see two pretty big negatives um, with the benchmark system. Number one, we're going to go, hard. what's that? <laughs> I said they're hard. <clears throat> that they're on the moon board. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that they're hard for sure. Um, number one, I'm going to go back to ravioli biceps. And um, have you seen the Netflix show Losers? Uh, I've only watched Netflix the series one about curling. That's the one I'm referring to here. Perfect. So in that episode, they talk about a guy who who gamed the system um, for curling and was just able to win. Like he he was playing within the rules, but he could win every single time because he you know he was using the system against them. Mm-hmm. And I think whatever that guy's name is, Ravioli Biceps is also that guy. Um, because one of the things that happened after ravioli biceps did all of the benchmarks is it seemed like, and maybe I'm making this up, but it seemed like they got more proactive about adding more. And as those benchmarks got more and more, they start to get a little, a little watered down, I think. Mm. And, and in that case, when there are more of them, they become easier and easier to just skip through and find a benchmark that suits you better. Um, yeah. So the list doesn't seem to be as curated as it once was. Um, so some of the pros of it, I think, have been watered down. And hmm. I'm blaming ravioli biceps. For that. Well, okay. <laughs> um, you know, for someone who doesn't climb on the moon board ever, like that's actually, I think that's a good observation. Um, it makes it nice for some, for people who've been doing it for a while yeah, to be like, Oh, they added like five new V fives. I can go back and do those cause I already completed them, but it makes it much more daunting for people new to the board. Like I've had friends like come up and they're like, Oh God, I've got like 200 boulders under V six that I have to do. Like, right. I don't want to do that. Like I, I just want to like start grinding the harder boulders. Like, you know, I want to start doing that. Like having 80 V fours or whatever it is, a hundred V fours is a lot. And it, yeah. I think it can be a little bit daunting. It makes it to where you're like, Oh, I'm going to skip past these for now. I'll kind of come back later And it's So many more that it takes you longer to get to that point of, okay, I've done all my low hanging fruit. Like, yeah. yeah, it just gives you more low hanging fruit to kind of pick off. 
Yeah, it's almost similar to the the like commercial gym that resets. Um, you could end up stuck at, I'm only trying V4 benchmarks from now till forever if they <laughs> keep adding them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're never moving on because you feel like I have to complete all of these. Whereas if it was a, if it were a curated set of, you know, 25, 30, whatever V4 benchmarks, it would be much easier for people to move on to that next level of benchmarks. And if you're, if you're changing your game because of one person who's done them all, then I think you're, you're making an error. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. I take that back. I'm not blaming ravioli biceps. I'm blaming Ben Moon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the other big negative I see is that with something as popular as the moonboard, it can become your goal. And mm-hmm. we quote Dan John a lot on this show. Um, I would love to get a count of how many episodes we've quoted him in, but I'm going to do it again here. The goal is to keep the goal the goal. And if your goal is to climb better outside, then it's you're missing the mark by allowing your goal to become, I'm going to do all the benchmarks. If you start saying, oh, well, conditions are pretty good on the project, but I've only got one more V7 benchmark to tick off. I'm going to stay in the gym today and tick off that benchmark, you know, and that has absolutely happened. So, oh yeah. So I think that's a, that could be a problem if you allow it to be. I think it can be, um, you know, I think it, uh, I should have pulled up this quote, uh, also a Dan John quote, it was something along the lines of, uh, you know, love your, like try hard with training and learn to love to compete. And then it was the opposite, like learn to love training and then try hard while you compete. Mm-hmm. But it was one of these things of like, there are values in both. And I think whichever one you're doing in the moment, you should put really put yourself into, you know, if this, if you're somewhere where the summer's super hot and climbing outside isn't an option, man, fall in love with your training, get psyched, like get obsessive, um, really like eat well, sleep well, try and show up every day to just give great efforts. Yeah. Um, and if you want to get obsessed with benchmarking at that point, cool. Like, you know, maybe try and make sure it's still gearing towards whatever you want to do in the future. But I think it's okay to get maybe a little obsessive in that moment. But exactly what you said, like when it comes time to, okay, the fall season is here. You know, yeah, maybe still try and wrap up a couple of those benchmarks. Like we got (laughs) to up ourselves in the ranking game. We all want to break the top 100 and be on that list. But yeah, you know, keep the goal to goal. Yeah, and I think that's why, you know, it's it's okay for you to sound very obsessive about the benchmarks right now because <laughs> you have an exit strategy. Like mm-hmm. at, at some point in the near future, you'll be moving and you're trying to wrap them up while you're in a place where indoor climbing is the norm mm-hmm. and and all you have available without relatively extensive travel you'll be moving to a place that has tons of outdoor climbing. And so why not put the time in for those benchmarks now? Because you know, you're exiting that place where moonboard benchmarks are the goal, unless you're in the shrine crew, of course. Yes. Um, (laughs) Which I mean, I'll be in Salt Lake, so who knows? Um, Exactly. (laughs) 
Uh, so yeah, benchmarks, a lot of great things about them, you know, yep. things to watch out for, but maybe the only thing I'd mention, I mean, and this goes without saying like one downside is that it is on the moon board in that I think it's a rad style to trade on a lot of benefits, but obviously it's not all encompassing, right. um, you know, you need, you do need a little bit more variety overall, whether that's adding more commercial set style or adding in outdoor climbing as well to give you more variety. Yep, totally. Um, all right, just to keep it on the board style theme, this is maybe the smallest thing, but one of my favorites, and it's the tension board double check mark. Mm-hmm. Um, so for anyone not Brilliant familiar, design, uh, elegant. Like for anyone not familiar, whenever you climb on the tension board, you can mirror the boulders. There's a little button, and it's funny. The first time I ever climbed on a board. It was with Will standing there. He was like, okay, download the app. I'm going to watch how you interact with it and everything. And as I open it and I looked at the bottom, there's these two arrows pointing opposite directions. And I was like, what does that do? Clicked it and it flipped all the LEDs. And I just giggled. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. It's like, that's the coolest. Like I knew conceptually what it was going to do. Like I knew this is a mirror board, but watching it flip, I was like, I don't know. This is, there's something here. Yeah, I, I had the same experience at the tension training center with Will lording over me, watching, yeah. you know, and and it was the exact same thing. Like I clicked it, it changed the LEDs, and I looked at Will, and he was just grinning. Like, yeah, yep, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah, did <clears throat> everyone else just get uh, goosebumps right then? <laughs> um, so when you mirror it, like. So you send a boulder and it gives you a little check mark next to the boulder name. When you mirror it and you send that one, it gives you another check mark, but in the opposite direction. So it looks like these two little crossing swords. Mm-hmm. And as you go through and you do climbs, you know, let's say if I say I'm going to search for most repeated or highest rated V8s and I pull it up, I might see a couple check marks, a couple crisscrossing check marks and a couple backwards ones. And that is upsetting. I want yeah. all crisscrossing, like the little crisscrossing check marks is so satisfying that you want them. You're like, you feel empty if you don't have them. And I told Will that, and I was like, man, like this makes me want to get the crisscross on both. And he was like, I know. And he's like, yeah, it's how we're tricking people into training. Yeah, totally. Like one of my favorite podcasts of all time is 99% Invisible, which is, you know, a, a podcast about the design of things and you know how how a lot of the designs are overlooked but are also really effective mm-hmm. and this is one of those things like i feel like roman mars should do a 99% invisible episode on the the check marks in the tension app and i believe grasshopper has you know co-opted this same thing uh, for their app but um really fucking brilliant design that makes me feel a way that's going to benefit me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. love it. It, you know, I'd <clears throat> say of all the games I have on the list, it's maybe, and it's funny cause it's such a tiny thing to say that this is gamified where you are like, Oh, well I did one. I need the other. Yeah. Maybe my favorite because it, I mean, there aren't like the upsides are great. Climbing both methods. Amazing. Um, yeah, I love it. And it's such just a small little thing that I think is powerful. 
Yeah, I think the only, you know, potentially negative thing I could say about it, and this is, there's going to be a lot of repetition in this episode of if there's a negative, it's user error most of the time. You know, we have to keep the goal the goal. And all of these gamified versions of climbing can be really positive if we allow them or we can take it too far. And this, the only negative I could see happening is if you are really, really bad at something on one side and because you want that other check mark, you get stuck there and never move beyond it. Like, I think you have to allow yourself to move on. You can always come back, check in on it. Um, but getting stuck for a long period of time on something that maybe you just don't have the mobility for that Gaston to work on that side, you know, and that's something that's going to take a long time to, to gain. Um, so getting stuck there could be a problem if you're obsessed with wanting those crisscrossed check marks. But user error, like I said. Yeah. And I would say this is, you know, us trying to be a little bit nitpicky, if anything. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, I think if you did become too obsessive, it could become an issue. Um, but yeah. And that's with all of these things, you know, this is more a warning to us as the climbers than it is a, uh, you know, a, a negative against the gamified part of climbing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> um, all right. So let's go ahead and we'll move on to the next one. So initially when I wrote out this list, it wasn't just a straight down list of here are games. I had like a good column, bad column. And this next one was in both. And that is pitch count. Mm, yeah. My, my least favorite of all, maybe not. It's competing. <laughs> it's tied for my least favorite of all gamified versions of climbing. Okay. Um, so yeah, pitch count is going out and saying, I most common one is I'm going to climb 10 pitches. 10. Mm -hmm. It's uh, we yeah, love. Why is 10 the fucking number? I don't, I don't get it. We love it. Like 10 is the number. Like, and no one even like, it's not like that. It's the same thing with dead hangs. We do 10 second dead hangs. Yeah. Like, for the most part, like that's just a common number. So many, everything is a set of 10. Um, we just default to it, but 10 pitches, that's what you do. Um, I once had someone tell me that if you climbed 10 pitches every day, you would just keep getting better. Like that was it. Like you would, there wasn't any further explanation. Just, yeah, if you climb 10 pitches a day, you're just going to keep getting better. That person was wrong. <laughs> they were they were wrong. Just 100% fucking wrong. This is a <laughs> this is a a game that I abhor. Um because of the experiences I've had with it with climbers. It's a really popular thing at the red. Very like, at the end of your day, oh, I got to get my pitch, my pitch count in, mm -hmm. you know? And I'm like, no, you don't. That's <laughs> fucking stupid. There's no point in it. You are a Red River climber. Endurance is your bread and butter. Why do you need to work more on your endurance at the end of the day? 
And that's what most of them end up doing is I'm just going to do some junk mileage pitches to get my pitch count in. Sometimes at the expense of another good effort on their project. And I just want to, frankly, I just want to punch them in their face every <laughs> single time they do it. It bothers the shit out of me. I don't like seeing people slow their own progression, halt their own progression oh. <laughs> in that way. I don't like it. It's really hard for me to watch. <clears throat> um, you said it was in both columns. What are the good things about pitch count? Because right now I can't see them. <laughs> okay. So pitch count is something that I do use as a coach and it's something I've used it myself. Um, but I think it has to be used well. Um, I used to be the 10 pitch a day kind of guy, like 10 yeah, pitches God at the mother load every time, 10 pitches at the undertow. Like that was it. So it had to be five twelve or harder. And I had never climbed above like 12 C, but I needed to do 10 pitches. That's because you were doing pitch counts at the fucking undertow wall. <laughs> um, God damn it. But I do think there are good methods for it. I think that I'm listening as a, as a coach, I will program <laughs> it for people who um, just lack the general all day work capacity and they're yeah. trying to build it up. So this could be late summer, early season, and I'll say, hey, like, go out. I want you climbing on your anti-style mini projects to start so we can get some, start getting some work under, like putting in some good work where you're trying hard, but it's a weird style. It's going to be a lower grade. But when you're done, I want you to start getting some more pitches in so that when the cold season comes, you're not going to have to be feeling like you need more fitness then. Like you can just focus on red pointing. And for them, honestly, I'll be, I'll tell them, Hey, like leave draws up on whatever your second warm up was, go yeah. back and run that two, three times, like run it once, leave a top rope up and just top rope it another couple of times. We're just trying to get some base mileage on a little bit easier climbing. I want you comfortable to the point to where if you need to give another burn on your project a month from now, when it's cold, you're going to have that in the tank. You're not going to say, Oh, I can warm up. I can give one good effort. And I'm here all day because I came here for the weekend, but I don't have the energy. Like, I don't want their base capacity to be a limiter for them. Yeah. All right. You're you're selling me on it a little bit here. Yeah, I, I can see it for that. And I'm a big believer in early in your climbing career getting lots of mileage in and not jumping into hard projects too quickly. You know, it's why I think pyramids work, which are another, you know, way to game things. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that it's really easy for us as humans to give ourselves an out like, Oh, I know I've only done four pitches today, but I'm tired and I'd rather save it for the next training day when I'm, back home or whatever it is. And I think when you're in a position where you need that sort of mileage or that mileage is going to be really beneficial for your climbing, whether it's the mental space to climb above bolts while you're a little fatigued or it's, mm -hmm. you know, you just need the, the physical capacity, the stamina to be able to endure a day like that. If that's going to be beneficial to you, then forcing yourself into that I need to get my 10 pitches or whatever it is can be really, really valuable. So yeah, I agree begrudgingly. 
Um, and maybe my favorite way to apply pitch count is to have it specific to grades. So this mm-hmm. is what I did when I was trying to break into 513. Um, like for some reason, I just told myself if I could get to the anchors of 513 three times, I could send 513. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I told myself. And I think it worked because it worked. Like it was one of those things I, I was just like. Some things just work that way. They work yeah. because they work. I was like, if I believe it, it's going to happen. Um, <laughs> like it's kind of like that idea, you know, if you trust your foot, it never pops. Like, right. That's that's not true. But if you believe it's true, it's going to work more often than not. Yeah. But if you totally. don't believe it's true, you pull, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, if I can get to the anchors three times in a day, and this is in the red where things are very endurance based and a little taller, I was like, I can do it. So step one was, I was like, okay, I just want to consistently get to the anchors once on 513. And I think this is where pitch count can really get skewed. The first time you go up a project's exhausting. Like, let's say if there's a V5 crux, you may end up doing that thing like six, seven, eight times. Right. So many more times than you will ever do at red pointing. Like a good red point effort isn't that tiring compared to an early working burn. Yeah. So early on, I was like, okay, I want to check out like two, three, five, thirteens. Um, so I want to go up at once and then I'm going to add in three, five, 12 pitches. If I can do that, great day. Then I was like, okay, can I get to, you know, once plus four, five, 12 pitches and then like twice up to 13 and four. And I just kind of kept building almost this little daily pyramid of volume. And it was like, okay, can I get to the point where I can do two, five, 12s to warm up and then go up a five, 13, three times, maybe two more five, 12s afterwards. Yep. And by the time I did that, I think I did it three times. And the next time I went out, I sent it. Yeah, that's really smart. Um, it also brings up a point that I think is worth mentioning that, you know, within this human error that we've already talked about, like gamifying can be really positive, but there's lots of room for us to make the error. If you find yourself trying to further gamify the, the game, if you find yourself trying to take a shortcut to win the game, that's when I think you need to take a step back and rethink what you're doing. Um, because if, if let's say the game is, if I get to the top of 513 three times in a day, I can do the 513. <clears throat> the way you were approaching it, you're also getting lots of like 512 mileage in because you're not just, you're, you're doing these long sections. And in the red, there will be sections of a long 12A on a 513. You know, and you're getting those sections in. But if you're just going bolt to bolt every time, if you're like, oh, I need to get to the chains three times, I'm just going to bolt to bolt it, save my energy, get to the chains, boom, I win. That doesn't work because in the red, you're doing like, you know, 30 V zeros to get to the top of a 513. And, and it's, that's not going to build you up to being able to red point the thing. So if you find yourself taking a shortcut to winning the game, cut yourself the fuck off and rethink (laughs) it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like there's the goal is to use this to make yourself better. And that's what I wanted. I was like, okay, I want to be fitter. And to me, you know, I'd had a friend tell me because I I felt like I was plateaued trying to break into 513. And I had a friend say, if you want to climb 513, you got to climb on 513. 
you know, very much yeah. a Dan, Dan Johnism. Totally, um, totally, absolutely. But it's the truth. I was like, okay, well, you know, and how it, when I wanted to climb five twelve, the best thing I could do, like if I could give more attempts in a day, I'm gonna send them faster. To me, yep. three seemed reasonable. Four seemed heinous. Um, so I was like, okay, if I can give three attempts on five thirteen, that'll do it. And especially like, you know, the first time it was like, okay, one terrible attempt, and then one okay attempt, one awful attempt, and then it built up to where it was eventually like two good attempts, one awful one, and then kind of keep working up like that. But every day I had these little victories of, okay, well at least, you know, my second attempt went a little better, whatever whole day's a win. Yeah. Um, so yeah, gamifying it in that way, I think was super helpful. Um, and it didn't let, I never felt stuck in the sense of, okay, I just have to, I have to hit 10 by any means kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super smart way to go about it. And being honest with yourself through that process, I think is a key. Um, let's take a quick break here and we'll be right back. Word. All right. Like I said, that's where we're stopping here. There's nearly another hour of this exact same thing where Nate and I go into assessments, lists, challenges, numbered traverses, different drills, and the classic pyramids, the pros and cons of gamifying climbing in all of those different ways. You can get the rest of it by becoming a patron for as little as $3 a month at patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast or by clicking the link right there in the show notes in your pocket supercomputer. And we are technically still on break here, so we absolutely do not tweet. But we do scream like eagles. Mm-hmm. 